0: Welcome to Swim, Bike, Run the Planet. I am Jill.
1: And I am Keith, along with you every week or so to tell you all of the awesome things we have going on around this little uh, blue marble of ours. So Jill, what is it that we're going to be talking about this week? Because I hear we've got another great topic.
0: So we are going to talk about when things go wrong. You can train all you want, but sometimes things do happen on race day.
1: That's right. No matter what you're going to do preparation-wise, there are certain things you're just not going to control. There's no way that you're ever going to control the weather. We're going to talk a lot about that one because that's... Probably the one that causes most people the biggest headaches... And we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about some of those things that, while you a lot of the time like to just say, Oh, that happened. I couldn't have done anything about it. Reality, a lot of the time, those things are very much in your control if you just plan ahead and do the smart things.
0: Yes, it is. There are some things, though, that are out of your control. Unfortunately, it happens. I I think in the triathlon world, the most memorable thing that happens that you can't control was at Kona last year, Daniela Reef was stung by a jellyfish on both sides of her arms.
1: Yeah, that goes into that whole category of there are things in the wild with us and we got to remember that a lot of the time we are swimming in open water open ocean open sea open bay etc 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 sharks jellyfish lions tigers and bears oh my they're all out to get us
0: but we are going to talk about some things you can do and be ready for just in case.
1: Okay, so we're already talking about jellyfish, so let's start off right there. Let, let's dive in on the creature feature of, uh, of, of the world that we're in, because when we're training outside, I mean, unless you're one of those people that finds a pool to swim in and you run on the treadmill and you live on a trainer, you're going out into that big blue world once in a while. So let's talk about some of the animals we encounter out there and basically how do we try to avoid some of those types of things? I think we
0: should just start with jellyfish since a lot of us live in areas Mm, that have... Peanut
1: butter and jellyfish.
0: A lot of us live in areas that have salt water and we're out in the salt water swimming. And it's one really you just have to keep an eye out for them. They are hard to see sometimes, but they are out there and they aren't really scared of us. They just float and do their thing.
1: Right. And one of the parts of that that we want to point out, and this was something that we learned years ago, actually. We were down doing a swimming race in Key West and we didn't realize that there are a Lot of different types of jellyfish that are out there. Some sting, some don't. So it's important to understand what type of jellyfish are in the area that you're going into and are they the type that are going to sting you or are they the type that you're just going to swim into? Now, Jill, where's somewhere that people can go and actually learn a little bit more about those different types of jellyfish? Any good advice on finding out what might be in those local waters and how to avoid them?
0: I would just go to your local government's website. Usually they have a fish and wildlife department that'll tell you what species are around.
1: That's a good thing. And remember, a lot of the time jellyfish will migrate so they are different times of year they're going to be in different places just pay attention keep your eye out And if you're seeing things about jellyfish warnings, riptide warnings, all those different things, pay attention to them. So let's go on to the next animal that I know terrify people, especially in saltwater. We're talking about sharks. What exactly are the types of things that we need to be aware of when we're in the water out there in either the Gulf of Mexico, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, or pretty much anywhere we are in the world?
0: As we stated in our safety podcast, the first thing is don't go out there by yourself. Don't go out by yourself. And don't swim right at sunrise or sunset because that is when sharks like to feed.
1: Right. Now, one thing that I absolutely do want to go ahead and state, and this is something that depending on the type of person you are, you can either look this up or not. It depends entirely on whether you want to believe there are no sharks in the water. But the truth is, there are always sharks around us anytime that we're out there in the saltwater. Uh, if you go on YouTube and you Google you know, drone footage, aerial footage over a beach, you can find tons of these videos that show you that, yeah, those sharks are around us at pretty much any time that we're in the water. Now, one of the big things of that, we're generally not on their lunch menu, but that doesn't mean you don't want to be careful. So just pay attention to that. If you're in an area that's prevalent with shark attacks or known to be shark-infested type waters, just be smart. And keep yourself as safe as you possibly can. Sometimes there's nothing we can do but to avoid it, but just be cautious.
0: And Sharks are curious. They will come up and
1: See what you're doing or what you are. Now, speaking of the shark family, there's another, actually, animal out there that lives in the sea that can actually cause a little more havoc than shark attacks in a lot of cases. And a lot of time, you hear about people getting stung by them, and it's a little more often. Those are stingrays. And what they like to do is they come into the shallows of the water, and they're generally in there just eating on things and just sort of doing what they do. But they've got long tails off the back, and sometimes they have a barb with them. And that's generally what will really get people, is that the smacking action or the barb sticking you now there's actually a really good trick that we do here in florida that can help keep you out of the stingrays path especially in shallow water now we're not talking about really a dangerous swimming out there once you get up to five or six feet we're talking about those first two or three feet into the water joe why don't you talk a little bit about what the stingray shuffle is
0: The stingray shuffle is what it sounds. You're going to walk into the water, shuffle your feet because the stingrays don't want anything to do with you. They're just sitting in the sand and if you're not shuffling your feet, they may not hear you coming. And when you step on them, Obviously, you startle them, because how would you like to be stepped on? And that's why they sting you. It's basically like somebody jumping out and scaring you.
1: Now, the last animal that we're going to talk about right now, and this one is pretty unique down here in Florida. We get a little bit of it in Alabama and some of the other southern states, the alligators. Crocodiles, for those of you in the rest of the world as well. Now, they're a little bit different type of animal, because they are known to sort of watch and stalk and hunt you know, land mammals. So they're something you want to be really careful about.
0: Most of the time in Florida, alligators are found in fresh or brackish waters. You just want to know where they are. Be careful. You don't want to go near leaves or lily pads. Because sometimes they like to hide nest under there.
1: Right. And the simplest way to be about it is if you do see an alligator, just stay away from it. And if you're at the edge of the water and you're seeing alligators in the water, don't get in the water. Pay attention to the people around you. Listen, if especially if it's during a race, you don't have to worry about it. Because believe me, living here long enough, I can tell you 500 people hitting the water at once is going to be more than enough to scare any type of animal all well away from the area that you're in. But if you're out there on a training swim or something like that, pay real close attention to the area that you're in and watch out to make sure something doesn't go terribly wrong.
0: Especially if it's just one or two of you because that's not going to scare critters away. They're going to kind of just sit and hang out and see what you're
1: doing. And like we said, the best thing to do, know the area that you're going into, pay attention, and just be smart about it. Now that's one way that you can have your entire day go very wrong very quickly. So let's move on to some of the other things that can happen that can make your day go wrong. Well,
0: I think the first thing to talk about, we'll do it in the order of triathlons, is stuff that can go wrong on the swim.
1: I think that's a great place to start. So we already talked a little bit about the animals and kind of trying to avoid them because we know those are just loads of fun. So yeah, let's talk about what happens on that day that you arrive or you're going out and the swim just is not gonna cooperate. The furry first thing I think of, Jill, is going to be waves, current, riptides, and sort of all of that fun stuff.
0: Absolutely. And with so many triathlons, there swims in lakes, rivers, oceans, and anywhere you can imagine. So there can be several different things going on. The water can be choppy or in the oceans. If you have a storm, they can create some pretty interesting rip currents. Here in Florida, we've had swims canceled that have been on the coast several times. Iron Man Florida's had to cancel their swim, and then the first... year I did Ironman 70.3 Gulf Coast, they had to cancel their swim, and honestly, that water scared me.
1: Right, no, I mean, those are days that we got out there, and we were watching four to six foot waves rolling in at the beach, and it was bad enough few people that were surfing weren't really going out into that. And I, one of the things about that, and Jill, I want you to just spend a little bit of time talk about this. Because I think the fact that you have actually been practicing and training in that is such a key thing. You know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of doing open water swimming. But one of the big pieces of that that people really need to remember is during those training runs or training swims... Sometimes you need to go when it's a little rough because you can't assume that race day is going to be perfect.
0: It's happened. I've gotten out to our open water training swim, seen the water, and been going, I don't know about this, but the coaches show up, so... I get in the water. And honestly, I'm happy I did. I've had a couple triathlons that the water has been a little choppy. And that open water swimming has helped so much when it's been a practice situation. You've had the coaches there and you're not panicking.
1: Right. I mean, the thing, the truth is, is that if you're the type of person that can honestly say, if I showed up to swim the day of a triathlon and there were waves or something I wasn't expecting, but I'm going to go anyway, then you're exactly the person we're talking to. You want to get out there and you want to swim in some of these routes for conditions you need to f- just feel it and understand what it's like to know. Okay, what's it feel like to try to come up for air and get hit with a wave, and suddenly you're you're choking on water. You know, it, it's better to just learn that in a safe, confined environment as you're trying to do a practice swim than otherwise.
0: Or for you bilateral breathers, if there are a lot of waves, you're not going to be able to sw- to breathe on both sides like you normally do when you swim because you're going to get hit with a mouthload of water, and that's something you need to know and need to be expecting.
1: Right, and we're not encouraging anybody to take any type of risk. Absolutely. If you're going to do this type of swim, make sure you've got somebody with you. You've got a life buoy with you. You've got some sort of inflatable. you got a person following along in a kayak. In no way are we encouraging you to do something dangerous, but just pay attention to that. And if you can get a group of four or five of you together on a windier day at a lake or wherever you're going to train at, it's important sometimes to just go out there when it is a little rougher, just to make sure you understand what it's going to be like.
0: And the other thing that can go with this is the cold. The water can be colder than you expected.
1: The water can also be hotter than you expected, those of you who really love to swim wearing your wetsuits.
0: Absolutely, and they do have the wetsuit legal rules as to how hot the water can be when you wear your wetsuit, because the water, how hot it can be when you wear your wetsuit, because the wetsuit makes you more buoyant, which makes you swim a little faster. But you need to practice in it and get used to that cold water, because there is nothing like that cold water seeping in the back of your wetsuit zipper the first time.
1: Right, and we've talked about this in other episodes, but again, hypothermia is a real danger, and it doesn't need to be freezing cold, 32 degrees degrees below, snowing outside for you to start getting uh, the signs of hypothermia. Pay attention to what your body's telling you. If If your body is saying you're cold, you're shivering, you're cold and you're shivering. Pay attention to what's going on, listen to your body, and just adjust accordingly. Remember, safety always comes first.
0: Yes, safety is the most important thing. I can't recommend enough if you're going to go swim when it's a little rough, please take a group with you or go out with a group that has swim coaches.
1: Now, talking about that, we're not just going to talk about only the things that can go wrong like that, but we're going to talk a little bit about what to do. So, Jill, do you have any tips for anybody? Because you've, you've become pretty decent at swimming in some rough conditions. If you find yourself out there on the start of a race, you're going towards a buoy and and you're getting hit with these waves, I mean, what are some of the things that people need to do?
0: First off, if it is rough, realize this is not the day you're going to PR your swim. Take your time, because it is rough, it is going to beat you up, and you are going to feel tired after this swim, more tired than usual.
1: And like most things, and I think this goes true with just about anything, do not panic.
0: I second that. Plus, the good thing is, is... There's always going to be kayaks and paddle boards out there that you can put your hand up for assistance. If it is not safe for the kayaks and paddle boards to be out there, you're not swimming.
1: Right, so I think that's a good point. Just remember, you do have help along the way. If you start feeling like, okay, I'm in danger or I can't catch my breath or I'm just not going to make this, look around because there will most likely be somebody there that you can get to that will will give you a hand. You know, you can rest on a kayak. The whole rule about that too, for those of you who, who aren't aware of this, even in the USAT, you're allowed to get assistance from a kayak. You are not allowed to use that to propel yourself forward or to move forward in any way. But if you get into trouble, you are allowed to go to the kayak or the paddleboards, put your hand on there and catch your breath or take a moment.
0: And I recently found out that all these people on kayaks and paddleboards are supposed supposed to be certified lifeguards.
1: For the most part, they are. That's generally, I think, where they get their volunteers from. So they're the type of people, they're looking for you. And I've seen it before. I, remember, I even did a race a couple of years ago where the the water was a little bit rough and I was not having a really good swim at all. I was still okay, but I do remember very clearly somebody that was on a paddleboard recognizing that I was struggling and they came over to me to check on me. Now, I didn't end up needing assistance. I was able to talk with them directly, tell them, yes, I'm doing okay. I'm just you know, a little out of shape. I'm just a little tired, but I'm progressing forward. And they recognize that so believe me the people that are out there during the races they're looking at you they're watching you they know what type of things to look for to make sure that you are you know doing okay and that you're going to make it
0: and if you panic best thing if you still want to make progress if you're just feeling you're in a group or you need a little room roll over on your back and backstroke and just make sure you're going the right way but when you're on your back you're going to have plenty of room to breathe and open up the lungs to get that full breath you need
1: Right, and that also ties into another very important part of this too, especially when you're swimming with other people, and during the race, you've got people coming over the top of you, you may get hit, you may get kicked. Things will happen, and you've got to be able to sort of adapt and adjust with that and be able to just keep going without it really messing you up. So if you're planning on swimming in that pack mentality of going hard, be ready to be bumped into some people. Now, that said, if you want to, you can always stay to the back of the pack. You don't have to go out hard right off the bat. Give yourself plenty of room and then you don't have to worry about that.
0: I used to do that myself. I used to let him go. And I would start behind them just because I didn't want in that pack. Now that I'm I've gotten more comfortable with it, I'm fine with it. But at first, I wanted my room.
1: Now, as we're coming through the water, so we talked a lot about in the water. One other thing too that, that does happen, and this has actually gotten me twice, and this is something I encourage people to do, take a look before the race even starts. Go over and look where you're coming out of the water. Understand what that looks like. Is it rocky? Are there shelves there? Or is there a potential to have broken glass? Are you coming out on a sidewalk? Know the area that you're coming up out of. I actually, one of the very first triathlons I ever did, I stepped on a piece of glass right as I was coming out of the water, and it ended up, I ended up finishing the rest of the triathlon, but that was something that just happened to me right off the bat, and had I gone and looked a little bit to understand what was over there, not saying that I could have avoided something like that, but at least it might have been something that I would have looked for or been more aware of.
0: And we have also done a triathlon that the exit was all rocky, and it cut up our feet so bad that I don't think we worked out for a week after it.
1: Yeah, that actually made me never want to do that triathlon again because of that. Uh, so be aware of that. You know, One other thing, too, is that you're going to, especially if you're coming out of the water and you're tired, don't feel like you've got to run into transition. That's something I know gets a lot of first-timers in a lot of trouble. You're thinking, I've got to get in and out of T1 and T2 as fast as I can. Don't. Coming out of the water, you're going to be tired. Your adrenaline is way up. You're probably already a little dehydrated from the distance you swim. Take your time and catch your breath a little bit there. It's okay. This this is not the type of race that you're necessarily going in order to win everything outright. So don't feel like you've got to rush that. That's a place that a lot of things can go wrong. Because if you rush through your T1 you can forget something important you cannot put water on your bike which i did once before and that was an absolutely miserable ride to not have water the rest of the time i was on the bike Uh, you can miss something important you can forget to put your socks on you can you make a lot of mistakes so just don't rush
0: as you do triathlon your times will get better but absolutely take your time the first time get up there get to your bike focus on what's going next I like saying break the triathlon up in sections. So you get through the swim, focus on T1. You're through T1, focus on the bike. Just
1: break it up. Now, as we're talking about the bike, the bike is probably the one place where the most things that can go wrong tend to. And that's because we got a lot of mechanical parts. We got electronic parts. We had all this stuff on the bike.
0: So I think the first thing that can go wrong is what happened to me the other night is swim was nice, got out, got about half a mile out on the bike and it started pouring down rain.
1: Yeah, rain is always tricky on a bike, especially with these triathlon bikes or these speed bikes and these road bikes. You're already on really aerodynamic uh, frames anyway, and you're on skinny tires. Skinny tires and water don't tend to go together real well.
0: And with a lot of these roads that the cities and counties try and keep paved because they know triathlons are there, or a lot of cyclists use them, our new newer asphalt, which is slick in the rain, especially on those thin tires. So biggest thing is, you definitely want to take your time on the bike. I didn't like having a slower bike split, but I was also not willing to go fast and have myself taken out for the rest of the season because I wanted to go fast in the rain.
1: Now, Jill, aside from the, the weather conditions that we can help, you know, we got the same issue with the sun where it could just be blistering hot the whole time. What are some of the other common problems people are going to have on the bike? Like what type of mechanical issues or, or technical issues are they just going to have to watch out? For?
0: Well, the first one is a flat tire because there are things in the road you can run over. And depending on what type of tires you have, I have the Continental Gatorskin Grand Prix 2000s on mine. They're a little bit thicker, heavier racing tire, but that thickness protects a little more from flats than your standard racing tire.
1: And I will say, I know they are a little bit more money, but... Um, After kind of living and learning the hard way a couple of times, on almost all of our bikes, or any of our bikes that have road tires, they all have gator skins on them. Spend a little bit of extra and get the better quality. It's sort of like tires for your car. You're better off to spend a little more money and get something higher quality, because that is not something you want to mess with. And I've seen more and more people that have just tried to go the cheaper route and find different tires and have just really paid for it. So, you don't necessarily have to get the continental gator skins like Jill and I are talking about. We, we definitely like them. We definitely recommend them. But take your time and, and pick out a, a tire that you know is going to be reliable.
0: But flats do happen. You can easily run over something you didn't see in the road, especially when you're racing and going fast. It can be a piece of glass. It can be just stuff that generally gets in the road. And for a shorter triathlon, honestly, your day's probably done.
1: Right. Now, speaking of that, so we are talking about a longer triathlon. Everybody should keep a flat kit on their bike. I mean, I think that just goes without saying these days. Jill, just real fast, kind of talk through what exactly is in that flat kit? What, what do people need to have? first thing is a tube.
0: That's what goes inside your tire. If you're tubeless and get a flat, I don't know a lot about that, so you're on your own for that one.
1: <laughs> if you're riding tubeless, yeah, you're you're probably not needing our advice on how to fix a tire.
0: But, so you need the tube, because that's what's going to be replaced. You also need a CO2 cartridge, which I really recommend practicing with these before you get out on the road and are 20 miles from your car and get a flat and this is your first time using this. Yeah, those
1: are those are tricky. I will say from experience um, they are tricky to operate. I did not expect them to be quite so tricky. Um, So that's something if you're not, if you've got one but you've never actually tried to use it, it's probably worth the CO2 cartridge to go ahead and spend it and see if you can't get it to actually work because they can be quite troublesome.
0: Yeah, so if you're on a training ride and you're on a popular route most of the time a cyclist will stop and help you there are no guarantees during a race so i can't recommend enough making sure you know how to do this on your own
1: well not to mention but but just also in that line because it is a lot of usat races you are not allowed to get assistance from those outside of the race so if you do have a flat you don't have the equipment with you, you are done in the eyes of the USAT because there's only so much assistance you can get. They can, Unless it comes from something official, you're not allowed to just get handed something from off the side of the road.
0: Yes, but somebody doing the race can help you.
1: Yes. Yeah, let's make sure we're clear on that. You can't get help from a spectator. Uh, now, the other side of that too, uh, you've seen people carry bike pumps. I actually used to carry a small pump on one of my road bikes. Uh, I enjoyed having it just because I didn't, I didn't want to have to worry about the CO2. But reality, learn the CO2, learn how to use it, get that little bike bag, put it up on your seat. It's the more effective and efficient way to go. Um, uh, one last thing, do not forget though, make sure you have got your tire tool with you.
0: Yes, you do need the tire levers because that's what's going to get the tire off the rim. And then the other thing you need to make sure you need is a tiny little piece called a co2 adapter and that's what's going to get the co2 cartridge on your tire
1: now let's talk a little bit about the hydration because usually if you're going to get yourself in trouble especially on any of the bigger races not necessarily the sprints or even the olympic but you start getting in the bigger ones, you really should be trying to take in some sort of uh, nutrition on the bike, whether that be like your honey stinger waffles or uh, something like that. But but Jill, why don't you talk a little bit about what, what you like to do as far as your nutrition goes?
0: Well, the biggest thing I learned was... The fact that I get so focused on the bike that I forget to hydrate, especially if it's not hot, which I did during my first triathlon of this year. It was an Olympic triathlon, and it was overcast, and it was nice, and I was focused on the bike because it was a lot of hills, and just didn't think about it. Luckily, I found out that Garmin actually has a setting you can put on your watch for how often to drink. So every 10 minutes now to fix this, I set it every 10 minutes to tell me, take a sip of water.
1: And that is important. Do not wait until you're thirsty to drink, especially on the bike. Drink at those regular intervals and then you will never get thirsty. If you wait until the point you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already in a bad swing and you're probably going to end up having a bad race.
0: And then the way I like to secure my nutrition to the bike is I like to use electrical tape because it's great, especially for gels. You just tape it over the top of the gel and pull your gel loose and your gels open for you so you can do it one handed.
1: Now, Jill, when we're talking about some of the longer rides, what I know everybody and this is going to be different for everybody and I because it's different for me, it's different for you. What is sort of the order that you like to do things? Because you've got goo and you know, you've know you got goo products out there that are your traditional goos that people are used to seeing on the bike and on the run. Uh, you got things like the honey stinger waffles. You've got shot blocks. Uh, you know, some of it is meant to be more gel food. Some of it's meant to be more real food. When and where should people be looking at which one to try?
0: Well, first off, you need to figure out your body and... When it needs nutrition. But the thing I have read that works really well is alternate the gels, the waffles or whatever you like to chew on with real food. Because if you do gels or waffles for a 56 mile or an 112 mile bike ride, your body is going to be on sugar overload when you get off of that bike.
1: I think that's a good point. So that covers a lot of the things that are going to go wrong on the bike. Now, the one part that we're not really going to get too far into is really on the technical side. Chain brake, mechanical brake, things like that. Those are things that uh, you're either going to be able to find a way to get to work and manage to hobble on back in or you're not and sometimes that's just gonna happen
0: yep and it unfortunately most of the time it is the end of your day unless you are crazy like in a book we read recently.
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen, I've heard stories of people who are crazy enough that their derailleur or something like that goes out and they basically ride the rest of their race in a single fixed gear. Uh, wow, I'm sure those calves have got to hurt by the end of that.
0: And then they still have a 26 mile run.
1: So let's lead into that now. So T2, generally not a lot of things that go wrong there. You're coming off the bike. Most people are usually glad. By this point, you're going into the run. You know what to carry out. You know what's going on. So let's talk about what are the things that go wrong when we get out there on on the pavement to go ahead and pound out, you know, either a five K, a ten K, a half, or you know, if it's the big one, you're going out there to do a marathon.
0: Well first off I've seen people do it. Make sure you take your helmet off. I've seen people run out of T2 with their helmet on and come running back in to put their helmet back down.
1: Yeah. That does not... Well, you'll get a couple of chuckles from the audience. Just try not to be that guy. And if you are that guy, laugh it off. Everybody is laughing because it's something silly and goofy that happens. It's nobody's laughing at you. Don't even feel remotely embarrassed about it. We've all done worse and dumber things than that.
0: So I think the first thing is what to do if you're tired. If you went too hard on that bike because it was just gorgeous weather a nice flat course or any other reason or it was hillier than you expected and your legs are done
1: well it can also tie into the weather as well on that same note of being tired i mean i think we've all been there where we start out on a run and our legs are i like to call it concrete calves where your calves just they don't want to move and your legs might as well weigh 100 pounds each as you're trying to trudge along because they just don't want to go
0: I think the first best thing to say is to take it slow. It's um, it's a mental game and you're just going to have to tell your legs to move.
1: Right. And a big piece of that is pay attention on the nutrition and the hydration side of it. Try to figure out what's going on with your legs. Is it a case of you're a borderline cramping because you're dehydrated? Is it a salinity issue? It, essentially... If you just kind of slow down a little bit, is there something there that you can try to correct? Now, if you're on the run and your legs are falling out, it's a little late and you're you're in some bad shape. But that doesn't mean that you can't try to do some corrective things to help make it a little bit better as you're going to finish out the rest of that race.
0: Hydration and nutrition are absolutely imperative if you are at this point. Don't be afraid to take an extra water cup or Gatorade at the station. If you're really cramping, I would recommend doing a water and a Gatorade to get some of those electrolytes stuff. Back in your system.
1: That said, also be careful that you're not overhydrating. Because I have also seen people go the other direction where you end up basically making your stomach cramp and stomach ache because you're just eating and drinking everything in front of you. Uh, One of the things that we've seen this a couple of times on like a half marathon, if you're at mile one of that half marathon and you're downing goo and you're downing Gatorade and you're downing water and you just can't seem to get enough, you probably didn't train enough and you're kind of setting yourself up for a bad day. So just pace yourself out, pay attention. The biggest piece of advice I can give people on that, if you have done enough training runs and you've done enough variation in your training runs, at some point, just about anything that can go wrong in a run has gone wrong in your training. And if you've really put your time and effort into that, you've probably experienced it and have some idea about how to overcome it. And just take your time, focus on the things you did right that got you through it last time, and just, you know, pound it out, basically.
0: And another thing is, especially right now in Florida, we have a lot of triathlons going on, and it is hot by the time the run gets out there on those olympics one of the best things you can do if you do feel hydrated but are just feeling overheated Take take a cup of water from the water station and dump it on your neck, the back of your neck. It'll help cool you off and make you feel a little more refreshed to keep going on that run.
1: Now, I do want to point out one thing there about how what Jill just said. Careful about how you do that. She said pour a little bit of that water on the back of your neck to cool off and feel a little more refreshed. A little bit of water. Do not pour an entire cup of cold water on top of your head when you're really hot. It can actually cause you to go into shock and it can actually completely throw your body heat and all your uh, sensors off in the wrong direction and send you into, essentially uh, exhaustion even faster. So be careful about doing those types of things. But that is a great tip. You know, getting sprayed. Watch for people that have uh, water guns. Watch people with hoses, have misters. All those different things are great ways to cool down out there. And especially if you're running somewhere that is known for being heat intensive, do the right things and pay attention to that. Listen to your body. Your body is going to give you warning signs that you're in trouble before you collapse. But that only as good as you are paying attention, recognizing them, and actually taking the time to listen to the warning signs that you're being given.
0: Absolutely, and in the humidity and the heat, which we've seen in Florida, whether you're doing a triathlon or a half marathon, 10k, 5k, any race, if you're not used to the heat, realize it is not a PR day, and that is fine. It's okay to enjoy the race, slow down, and listen to your body, because Florida heat is like nothing else.
1: Right, and one big piece of that, and it really plays on the heat side of it, if you go places that are colder, you're going to find that your legs respond faster, you feel better, a lot of good things go on there. And a lot of times you can find your way to run through cold. Heat is completely different. Heat will do things to your body that you really aren't ready for it to do. And one of the biggest pieces of that, it goes back to the training. Make sure that you are training or that you find a way to mimic as closely as you can type of environment that you're going to be in. Be ready for that. And the last part of this that we really want to talk about is because all these things are going wrong. If you've made it this far, regardless of how your day is going, regardless of how that race is going, when you see that finish line smile, enjoy yourself, just take a moment to recognize that you did it. You may not have PR'd, you may not have made the time that you wanted, there may have been a hundred other things that have gone completely wrong, but none of that matters. You completed the race, you're there. Enjoy that, be in that moment, and just sort of enjoy that you've completed the task that you were trying to do.
0: And the best part about these races is you have some great stories to tell over those post-triathlon beers and years down the road as you make new triathlon friends because everybody loves stories
1: right and i can tell you the stories that we tell more often than not are not the stories where we pr to race we are almost always telling stories and laughing about the incredibly goofy things that we've done on the races you know, where, where Jill called me in the middle of a marathon and I was almost blacking out and couldn't answer it.
0: Or running, or the second marathon I did that I signed up before I completed my first marathon, it was 26 degrees at the start.
1: Yeah, and I remember standing out there cheering people on and I was dancing around, jumping up and down, cheering people on just because I was trying to stay warm because it was so unbelievably cold.
0: It was so cold that people were discarding clothes on the side of the road and other people were going through the clothes trying to find something in their size because they couldn't get warm.
1: We also had a triathlon where the waves were coming in so fast and so hard that we were basically getting body surfed back into the beach that we essentially had to fight our way out to the buoy, get pushed back into shore, run along the shore, then go back and swim back out to the other buoy to be able to finally come back in before we could move on to T1. Or
0: there was the triathlon that that was supposed to start at 7.30. Didn't start till 9 o'clock because you could only see the second buoy Because
1: of fog. All of these things are all things that are going to go wrong, that are going to mess up your day, that are going to be all the reasons why you should throw it in. You should think, wow, that was a terrible race, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, those are usually the ones that end up being the best stories that you have the most fun and you just tend to enjoy and you'll be the ones that you talk about for years to come. So you know, it's always that sort of idea that it's that idea that every cloud has a silver lining. Always look on the bright side of life, grass is greener, et etc, cetera, etc, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Get out there and have some fun and don't be so worried about the things are gonna go wrong. they're gonna go wrong. It's more about enjoying it and what can you do to help power through there. And hopefully we've given you some good tips on that.
0: Absolutely. And another thing that I now laugh about, and this isn't necessarily something going wrong, but it has become a tradition with the Disney races, is that for some reason, we get there at the perfect time to get about the furthest parking spot away from the parks From the start line. <laughs>
1: Yes, we do. And that is actually one of the ones... I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. I know we talk about it a lot. For those of you who have done Disney races, especially the Disney Marathon, it's a beautiful course. It's a beautiful race. We love it. This is not a... This is actually more of a funny thing for us. That The get out to your corral from where you actually park, you will probably walk a half mile to a mile before you ever actually start the race. And then in just sort of a fun, cruel joke, after you finish, you probably got another half mile back to your car across the giant parking lot that is at Epcot. And that's just something that always has made us laugh and be kind of entertained about that, that you're doing a marathon 26.2 on the dot, but then you're going to have all this additional area that you've got to cover getting to the race and getting from the race. So just account for that, have fun and just get out there and enjoy the sport.
0: Absolutely. And it is these fun things that make the sport enjoyable. Everybody laughs about them at the end. Once you've made it and everybody high fives and there's so much camaraderie when some stuff like this happens.
1: And now we're going to go ahead and we're going to do a little bit of a race recap. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of triathlon. Now, this is really something that we try to do all the time. It's really just help people be informed about the different things that are going on out there in the world. Some of the different races that are going on. And maybe get to hear about some races that you either did know were happening or are just really kind of unique and fun. So, Jill, what race are we covering this week?
0: So, I thought we would talk about what we did last weekend. And we went out to the Heartland Triathlon and cheered on a bunch of my friends, which is always fun to go do. Or go volunteer at a race you haven't done yet because you can see what the race looks like without actually racing.
1: Yeah, and that's a good idea for especially those of you who want to do a bigger race. If you've never done a half Ironman or an Ironman, they're pretty intimidating. And there's a lot of things that go on. And I really encourage you, go out to these bigger races or go out to any race. If you've never done a 5K, if you've never done a sprint triathlon, whatever it is, go and spectate one first. See what goes on. Learn a little bit about it. See how it's done. Evaluate the course. Is it really somewhere you want to be? Is the race run? Really well? Do they have enough water stations? Is there aid along the way? Is there something that's interesting about it that's really going to kind of help make you uh, really enjoy that race? The Heartland Triathlon was a great one. It's down in the middle of Sebring. It's right in the little historic district. It was actually really neat. The way they did the run, the runs actually come from a large center park area they have, and it goes down each of the streets and back up. It's almost like the spokes of a wheel. And that was really neat. And it lets spectators see a lot of different times of the, the runners going by. So it's not a case of you see somebody leaving transition, then you see them come back across the finish line there are multiple, multiple times where you can see and cheer the people on as they're going through this. And it was a really fun race to be at.
0: Plus, one of the great things of these little cities is to explore the downtown. As we were leaving, we found this little soda shop and got to try some handcrafted sodas, which was really fun on the way
1: out. Yeah, we actually had handcrafted sodas from uh, across the U.S. We definitely stuck more towards the ginger and the root beer side of things. Cause it had been such a hot day. We were, I think, trying to quench our thirst our thirst more than anything. Uh, but it was really cool. And that was some place that I don't... don't know if the race hadn't been there had we would have even gone into that type of uh, place. We might never have explored it.
0: So we're going to move on to some Ironman races that happened this weekend. One of the most popular races happened, which was Ironman Boulder.
1: Boulder, Colorado.
0: Yes, always a favorite. That's a huge triathlon community out there. Lots of training, lots of pros train out there, and it's also a great place to run train as well.
1: Now, one thing I do want to point out that's pretty interesting about that, as we say here, we're, we're kind of in the middle of June doing this podcast. right now, pay attention to the weather because there are times of year where there can still be snow out there.
0: Yes, and it can also go the opposite way as well. I believe it was last year at Ironman Boulder that by the time people were on the bike, the temperature was over 100 degrees.
1: Yeah, that's one of those big ones where something can go wrong and it's going to be completely out of your control. So make sure you've trained and that you're ready for it.
0: So, first off, anybody that raced this weekend, congratulations, no matter what you did. You got out there. I hope you had a great time and hopefully you're Looking forward to your next one or planning your next one. So, without further ado, our winners of Ironman Boulder for the pro males we had Matt Hansen at 7:57 and Lauren Brandon at 9:09.
1: Which are some really great times out there. That's a very fun course, and you will hear a lot of variation. And what's kind of unique about it is the fact that it really does change a lot year to year, depending on what's going on.
0: And I do believe for the swimmers, I do believe that lake is wetsuit legal. So always one to look at when you're tra- looking at your first. Ironman, if you want a wetsuit,
1: definitely. That's a great race. So that one's always a fun one too, because it is kind of middle of the season now. We're in full swing. We've got a lot of people that are already getting qualified for Kona. They're starting to enjoy that and just kind of having fun out there. So be on the lookout for those types of fun races. Uh, Jill, did you have another one you wanted to talk about?
0: Absolutely. We had the Asia Pacific Championships over the over the weekend as well, and that was in Cairns, Australia.
1: Okay, no, so that was the Asia Pacific Championship. So that is another full Ironman.
0: Another full Ironman, Man, hundred 150- 40.6. And for this one, the winners were Braden Curry with a time at 8.04. And Teresa Adams for the women with a time at 8.48.
1: And those are another set of great times. Just really glad to hear that. Uh, of course, I mean, Australia is always beautiful anyway. So anytime you get to go there and just kind of enjoy that. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about this, with a few exceptions. Almost all of these Ironmans are generally done in places that are just destination vacation spots anyway. Um, you want to hear some more about that? Check out one of our earlier podcasts where we talk about destination races, and you can learn a little bit more about how to get the most out of that.
0: Yeah, and one of the ones I'll be excited to watch this weekend, I saw Mike Riley just arrived in Cork, Ireland. They're having their first full Ironman there, so I'm sure the scenery is going to be beautiful and it's going to be a great race.
1: So that has been When Things Go Wrong, the triathlon edition, as we kind of go through and tag a little bit of what we've been talking about, and hopefully you learned something and a couple of good races in there. Uh, Jill, real quick, why don't we tell everybody where they can find us and how they can follow along?
0: So you can follow us on our website. I blog about my adventures and training at www.swimbikeruntheplanet.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at loves, L-O-V-E-S, the number two, T-R-I dot 82. Or on Twitter at SBR The Planet.
1: And of course, if you are listening to this podcast, we'd love to get some feedback. We'd love to get some stars. Go ahead and rate it and do all those types of things to help us. Just that way we know that we're doing even better. And just be able to help us get up in the charts. And we'll keep on putting out some great contact like this. So until next time, this is Keith saying, uh, get out there, enjoy the world, and have some fun.
0: This is Jill signing off. And before I sign off, I just want to say, if you listen to us first off, thank you. And if you are a triathlete and know of a local race in your community you want us to cover, send us a link.